This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again, Doug Collum and Irene Yen. Welcome back to Sirius XM's Bay Area Ventures, live from the campus of Wharton San Francisco. I'm your host, Irina Yen, along with my co-host, Doug Collum. Uh, for everybody who's just dialing in, um, as always, our show's about entrepreneurship. Uh, we focus on startups and venture capital here predominantly in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you've got a question, you are welcome to join us. You can reach us at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So we are joined now by Sarah Sher, the co-founder and CEO of Kango. Sarah is a Silicon Valley veteran who started as a product manager number two at Snapfish and has a very storied career, which we can't wait to hear about, uh, which eventually led her to co-found uh, Kango along the way. So welcome to the, the program, Sarah. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So we'd love to share with our audience you know, stories of entrepreneurs um, from context, but also it's a source of inspiration. So we're wondering if you could share with us your story, your journey as a Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley veteran, um, and eventually what led you to co-found Kango. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I wasn't born in Silicon Valley, but I was born in California. Uh, ended up going to Stanford here and then moving to France thereafter. But I uh, realized, yes, for graduate school, realized even while I was graduating that what I really liked to do was solve problems. Um, and what I started out by doing, I wish I had been introduced to entrepreneurship when I was 20, but uh, I started out in consulting after grad school at Accenture out of the Paris oh, office sure. uh, for large companies like Merrill Lynch and financial services and financial markets, but then migrated back to the Bay Area as it was the dawn of the internet, which dates me a little bit, but... Uh, <laughs> Same but young kid company. <laughs> It was the, the dawn of the internet and importantly for me uh, for digital photography as well. And um, after going to insweb.com, which was the first online instant insurance quoting marketplace that actually IPO'd in 1999, kind of crazy. Um, but then they moved the company to Sacramento and uh, I just wasn't able <laughs> to. That wasn't part of your career. I just yeah. couldn't do it. Um, so I ended up at Snapfish, which at the time was a very small startup. Um, just a few of us. The site had launched sure. a few months prior in 2000 and I was product manager number two, brought on board to figure out how to help people get their photos off of their computers. And then when smartphones came into existence onto uh, the internet and be able to share them and make things with them. And it was kind of the same demographic as Kango's demographic today in the sense that it was family sharing memories and right. photos of their kids. Yeah, um, that's right. But I be became a parent myself along the way. And I was running at the time a product team that spanned three continents, um, wow. Europe, Asia, and North America. And I had these two toddlers and I and Sarah, that was here in the Bay Area. Yes, yeah, okay. mm -hmm, San yeah. Francisco. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled uh, with how to get these kids, uh, the small kids. Husband worked in Menlo Park, um, um, you know, to and from preschool. That was the first um, bump that I hit really in my career. And so that was part of your global trek, you know, from <laughs> overseas to Asia to the preschool. That had to be one of the pins on your map board. I'm it sure. was <laughs> where do I put this pin? Um, it doesn't work. So, uh, and the beauty of smartphones that were emerging at that time was that um, it enabled you to take your job wherever you had to be for right. a few minutes. And it was really 
your job or my job at the time was text and voice and data. But when it came to kids, you needed people. You know, these were tiny little people and you needed not just technology, but people, caregivers Mm -hmm. um, that you had to be able to trust. And when it came to mobility, smartphones were amazing because Mm -hmm. you could suddenly track things as well. Um, But short of putting a a chip in your kids, um, how were you (laughs) going to track where they were going with a trusted caregiver? So that was how... Uh, the idea for Kango was born um, out of my struggles, you know, trying traditional caregiving services like Care.com or Urban Sitter or uh, Nannies and just really coming up short with the frequency of needs for transportation. What, what was the year that Kango came into existence? Well, so was, Napfish was um, a fantastic ride. Um, I stayed until 2011. Uh, we were acquired in 2005 by HP. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stayed after that because uh, as an international person, I'm actually half Swiss and speak French at home. Um, Wow, it was uh, <laughs> it was fun for me to accompany Snapfish in its uh, expansion into the 22 countries at the time. That was part mm-hmm. of the charter of being, you know, part of HP. But um, and I knew that I might want to have that experience in scaling something um, for my own venture later on. And sure enough, uh, so I left at the end of 2011, not really knowing what I was going to do next, mm-hmm. but still not having solved this challenge of how do you get these small kids where they need to go. Um, and my current CTO and co-founder Shiva was my technical counterpart at Snapfish. So he, uh, actually came with me, um, and we figured out what to do next. And that's how 2012. So yeah, the, the first version of the app, uh, came out in 2012. We built it kind of ourselves, um, being product and engineering Mm -hmm. founders by nature. Um, And was he going through the same thing, like experiencing that with a young family and all that stuff and just, just getting into the door at work was enough of a challenge with this in the back of your mind or top of mind all the time, every day. Correct. He he could definitely relate because I mean, he lives in San Jose and had been commuting to Snapfish, uh, and he had a young daughter as well. And the traffic of course is not getting any better so um we had a discussion that's about right traffic yeah, at the very beginning that's of the crazy. Program. That's yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um you know i had three ideas actually at the time the two others involved photography in some shape or form a combination of photography and on demand but this one was by far the most personal um and so you know i'd sent him a few slides and sketches one day and didn't hear anything back um, and thought, okay, well, like, okay. so much, <laughs> oh, well, that didn't stick. And then, you know, I called him up a few days later and said, well, well, what did you think? And haven't heard anything. So I assume you've, you know, gone to work at Google or whatever. And he said, no, no, I'm coding it. <laughs> like, oh, wait, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. time out. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, you know, yeah. user research. I don't know. Right. Um, so, uh, that's, uh, we both got excited about that and it seemed like a problem that needed to be solved. And it wasn't just us. It was, you know, everyone we talked to said, oh man, you know, we could really use something like this. That's amazing. So in, in a, in a nutshell, we're going to come back and dig deep in it so that led you to co-found at that moment i guess that was 2012 Mm -hmm. um to move forward with kango after the acquisition well after the acquisition you stayed on board and then you decided to roll off at some point and Correct. I mean, I talked to actually a number of companies, um, both larger companies, interviewed you know, bigger companies, smaller companies, companies kind of in the midsize, several hundred people, you know, startup range. And uh, after several interviews where I literally was asked, you know, by a startup founder, hey, well, that actually, could you could you type that up and send that to our PM? Or can you actually send me that roadmap that you just drew on the napkin? And I mm-hmm. thought there's no reason why I can't do something similar, you know, to found it myself. Why? And I really realized that I liked solving the earlier problems, um, you know, the defining the problem and coming Mm -hmm. up with the prototype rather than the scaling is fun too. Uh, But um, that's how I decided to take the plunge. Wow. 
So in a nutshell, for those of um, the, our listeners who haven't used Kango before, can uh -huh. you tell us what, it, what is Kango and what does it do? Absolutely. Uh, it is a mobile app-based uh, ride-sharing service for kids mm -hmm. uh, where we have uh, fingerprinted, background-checked, essentially nannies behind the wheel, mm -hmm. but where you have the convenience <laughs> of booking through an app. So people have along the way come to know obviously adult ride sharing and right. be a little more used to downloading an app and, and asking for a transportation. But this is very different in the sense that not only is the caregiver base very, very much more vetted and actually regulated as well, you know, by mm -hmm. authorities and by insurers, but um, it's much more personal. So you can download the app, request to book a driver, but you would first have to create a little profile for your child um, to indicate, as we drive kids of all ages, actually, we're the only ones insured to drive kids even under the age of five. We have car seats as well as booster seats, but you tap a button. Um, you can even contact Kango and say, hey, you know, this is completely new to me. I've barely even used a sitter. Can I meet a driver or sitter beforehand? We'll do that. We'll send someone to you. First one is on us. There's um, a lot of hand-holding just to get right. that, that handshake going. Correct. Right? It's really about trust creation, uh, which is why you know, we can get to that, but word yeah. of mouth is so key in mm -hmm. this market. But it's all with the uh, assist from technology. We're pretty much 24-7. You can contact mm -hmm. us. You can book a driver directly, which many in in fact, the majority of families do, but you can also yeah. chat with us and ask us how it works. You can call us and have us explain. You can ask for an estimate, even though the app will display an estimate after you tap in, you know, the pickup and the drop-off locations and how many passengers are in the ride. And mm. um, you can communicate with the driver. You can, there's three-way instant chat between Kango Operations, the driver, and family. So we really feel like this is childcare on wheels rather than yeah, Uber. It's, well um, yeah. it's, it's the philosophy is we know you need <laughs> help with your kids just like we do my own kids ride with kango when i'm on a business trip but we don't want you to feel disconnected uh, from the person who has your kids you can right. contact the driver directly you don't have to call 1-800 something um, and be on hold you can actually uh, contact the physical person who has your child got it i was wondering we could also do I w i'd love to dig deep i think um in that in the nuts and bolts for listeners so they understand also but part of, I, we think also might help to frame it a little bit so folks can understand like what's driving like where is the current state of the market what's made this so besides the obvious the demand and everybody working and that sort of thing so i guess we'll start with that what's the current state of the market with rideshare and this is rideshare for kids and we've read about in the research there's rideshare for you know the elderly there's rideshare for rural areas there's you know so there's a lot going on and um, what do you, what's what do you what are you seeing is driving this demand well, for, for ride-sharing overall, it's actually interesting. And then I'll jump to, you know, the niche of yeah. ride-sharing for kids. But um, I think that the advent of mobile technology where wherever you are, you can request a service, you know, and transportation is a very frequently occurring need. Um, that has, you know, obviously led to the birth of the Ubers and Lyfts of the world where right. you can be on a street corner right. and expect, right. you know, a response within three minutes, you know, mm -hmm. to a tap of a button on an app. And um, the... At the same time, the platform, the technology behind those, you know, mobile apps that enable ride sharing has enabled the unit cost of the service to be lowered. Nice. So in a way that they can be very precise, like, oh, someone needs a ride here at, you know, Second and Harrison, or uh, they need a ride right there. They don't need to be part of a group shuttle bus, you know, of which the unit cost mm -hmm. is much more expensive. Right. So that coupled with just the pace of modern life um, and the fact that car ownership is 
not on the rise. Um, people are looking for ways to take time out of their busy you know, schedules. And if they don't have to spend time parking or they can get that time back in the vehicle, either working or being on a phone call rather than having to watch the road, they're going to do that. So that's mm-hmm. the second reason. So technology and then the need to get time back out of increasingly busy schedules. Um, I think, you know, kind of gives birth to the adult ride sharing. And then from that, it kind of spreads into niches, you know, as in our case, like, well, why not build a smartphone app to help, you know, get rides for kids? Because after all, I want to be able to track exactly where they are. Completely different market, effectively. Right. And but let me source the the supply side of the equation completely differently, just like Mm -hmm. I was, you know, as if I were looking for nannies and, and caregivers, you know, for kids, but put those, you know, connect those to that, you know, front end, which is the and let's build a more social experience in the app where you can have preferences about drivers and chat with the driver or chat with, you know, Kango and make sure that it actually feels like childcare rather than just, you know, tapping a button and having someone drive away with your child. So the, right. the niche, <laughs> right. the way she puts that, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's really not the experience. So I think the niche kind of grew out of the um, familiarity of the ride-sharing technology coupled with mobile mm-hmm. and then um, the unsolved problem of how do dual income, you know, working families or just really busy families where there's multiple kids um, right. or where one travels frequently, how do they continue to, you know, struggle with this and can we provide a solution which is really cruelly needed? Um, so that is kind of where we came in with, okay, the technology can be leveraged. This is a problem that we can help solve by using a different type of supply pool that's much more heavily vetted, mm-hmm. providing a more childcare type uh, experience, um, and then also realizing that there's so many different use cases that families are really struggling with, right. even more so um, than they did in the past. And so, you know, it does, like you say, kind of go into other niches like, you know, elder uh, care and rides for elders or perhaps in rural areas, but they're all a little different. Right. Um, I think a central component, though, for these kind of rides with caregiving is trust and right. So we've seen that once you have a family's trust, then they tend to come to you with the other types of needs that require trust, too. It's interesting you bring that up, Sarah, the idea of trust, because as we're learning more about Kango, um, you know, how mindful you are about making sure the trust is there throughout this multi-sided kind of market or um, stakeholder uh, model with whether it's with the parent, the child, or even the driver. So if we're breaking that down and looking at the trust with the parent, um, can you talk a little bit about walking through a use case, what that experience is and how, because Kango is so mindful about that experience and what makes Kango so unique that maybe other child care ride services don't do or maybe don't do as well or with the same amount of depth of depth yeah we really uh take it very seriously in terms of creating that trust we are the most personalized service really in the sense that we help kids of any age um, Mm -hmm. and we let parents have their preferences built into our system so in terms of the parent experience you might hear about us from seeing a kango minivan go by um, or uh, having your friends, uh, parents use Kango for their soccer carpool or uh, just, you know, looking, Googling, uh, you know, rides for kids and seeing Kango or reading San Francisco Magazine and seeing Best Uber for Kids, which was kind of an interesting name, but we won that two years in a row. Um, And then what you, depending on how familiar you are, and um, I like to say, parents are on an emotional spectrum just like kids are from on the one end oh he or she'll be fine right. and the other end sort of attachment parenting right. I will never outsource any you 
right. service. Oh my gosh, I'm going to end up in the next state. <laughs> right, and, oops, it's the I didn't, disaster right. <laughs> scenario. Um, and, and, and we handle, Yikes. we built the service to handle all the the shades in between. So we think you know that way we maximize um, our um, availability to all of the addressable market. You know, not just the the parents on the fifty percent. They're going to be okay. Right. So you can call Kango and talk to someone to ask us questions. You can chat live in Kango app about the service before you even book a driver. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of onboarding, like I mentioned, we're the only service that will send a driver to you to do either a ride along or a meet and greet, sort of meet my child, talk to me, mm-hmm. see what you know these caregivers are like, that they're real people, even though they're... Um, requested through an app, or you could just choose to, you know, put in a ride request directly. Um, but the beauty of that is that when we started, actually, back up a tiny bit, we launched a carpool app um, before we did a paid rides, mm-hmm. and we had a ton of social features, um, groups, chat, um, connecting with people in your school group, and so there's a lot of communication that you can also do as a parent thinking about trying Kango. You can mm-hmm. post in your um, Noe Valley neighborhood group and say, hey, I'm a parent. I just downloaded this app. Has anyone else here used it? What do you think? Oh, I see what you're saying. Right, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and maybe try it as a carpool to begin with or something like that or just getting oh. the feedback. Like so it's it, we're basically there. There's lots of t- touch points. And mm-hmm. depending on how much you know and your degree of, of you know comfort with a service like this, you can either talk to us a lot or communicate with us a lot or go ahead and tap book a driver and enter your first ride request and submit it. Mm-hmm. So it's as, as fast or as... Um, you know, involved as you would like. Mm-hmm. But um, from that, I should mention some of the other things. When you um, submit your request, you, like I mentioned, had created a little mini profile for your child. You can tell us anything special we ought to know. You can give us a, uh, a password that you want a driver to use when picking up your mm-hmm. child. Um, you can uh, request after you've used Kango a few times. You can say, I re- we really love Annie and Jenna and Edith. Um, can you set those as our preferred drivers mm-hmm. if they're available and have our requests go to them first? Mm-hmm. So you can kind of create your little pool uh, in a nutshell right. of, of you know, known um, providers as well. So um, I could go more into what the experience is from beginning to end yeah. once your child gets picked up and dropped off, but I'll pause. So, so yeah, so for people just dialing in, um, I'm Doug Collum. I'm here with Irina Yen. Our guest this hour is Sarah Scherer, who's the co-founder and CEO of Kango, which is a, in, in short, a ride-sharing service for kids. Correct. And I was going to, so you were talking about trust, and I wanted to extract from that to a larger question, which is... Th- um, choosing my words here. I mean, there's a lot of competition in this space. I mean, ride sharing of all flavors and all segments and different ways of approaching the problem. So I think you've been talking about it, but if you're going to kind of dial down, what is the principal differentiator that Kango offers from the other child ride sharing services? Sure. How how would you kind of Mm -hmm. summarize that? Well, I think I touched on it earlier. Um, We're the most personalized service for families with kids of any age. So we're, if you have a a child that's two years old up to 24. Correct. We even have, (laughs) we even have grownups who use the service. Sometimes we get a request and it says, it's just me. (laughs) It's mom. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, if you have kids um, who 
need a ride right away. We're also the only service. They might be under five, in which case we're the only service available. But if they need a ride right oh, away, if yeah. they don't feel so great at school, for example, and somebody needs to bring them home and, and babysit afterwards, we provide the only same-day uh, ride requests without a cutoff time, which for other services is either the night before or up to eight or ten hours. So if you, a lot of people you know, want that. You know, they don't know what might happen in the lives of parents right. and kids. Maybe they're running late to a meeting and they need to request a ride. Or to schedule right. anything. Or, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and then you know, the preferences that I mentioned, those are unique to Kango. You can't request um, specific drivers um, on other services as well. Mm. Um, so, th- so yeah. also levering off your comment about trust. So trust certainly between Kango as the company mm-hmm. and the user of the service. Also, tell us more about drivers. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, do, do you how do you do you screen drivers? Do they oh, have gosh, to meet yeah. certain qualifications? What's what's the deal there? Absolutely. I mean, in a nutshell, we do everything with our drivers that we would do if we were literally hiring a nanny for our own kids. Um, so it's a process that it's it's the largest investment really that we make other than the technology platform is in you know screening drivers and making sure that they're safe mm-hmm. uh, people for uh, driving kids. So we have several criteria. You know, they have to have several years of childcare experience. They also have to have a safe vehicle that qualifies and meets our insurance criteria, which means mm-hmm. four doors less than 10 years old. Um, they, after that, uh, have to pass a phone screen. We talk to them first if they meet that criteria. Uh, we check references from prior employers, preferably with you know childcare involved in that mm-hmm. job. Then we'll interview the person in, in, person? in the flesh, yeah, mm-hmm. in person for roughly 30 minutes, sometimes more. Um, if that goes well, we'll run a first background check, which is a digital background check. It also checks their, um, checks their DMV records. Um, and if that looks good, then we will proceed to a vehicle inspection by a certified mechanic. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's required uh, by law. Oh, so law. these are not just Kango cars. The drivers use their own cars. The drivers, you know, similar to adult ride sharing, right. use their own cars. Um, Kango has a partnership with Chrysler for right. uh, the use of Pacifica hybrid minivans. We'll come back subset. to that. Yeah. 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 But, Those oh, are leased uh, by drivers. But you're yeah. saying that mm-hmm. drivers who use their own cars will in fact go through a, there's a mechanical and safety check Correct. for those cars as mm-hmm. well yeah that's upon uh, initial you know joining the service and then it's every year or after a certain set uh, level of miles so that vehicle has to always be you know in good uh, working condition and verified to be so and after the vehicle inspection uh, they get fingerprinted we actually trust line register all of our uh, Kango drivers and that's the state of California's kind of gold standard uh, the same certification as if you were a licensed daycare provider right. so that background check uh, involves fingerprinting and goes back all the way to when that individual turned 18. Yeah because this is a ton of hurdles right. that people have to go Correct. through. Correct yeah. um, and if that is all good in addition to all the rest then they have the last step is they have their Kango orientation where we show them you know how to use the app um, how to accept rides how to communicate with parents and with Kango ops um, so there's kind of yeah. a chemistry test too which is to absolutely make, right, yeah. a, at the end of the day it's a it's a public facing uh, service that you're providing absolutely uh, and even with all of that um, and actually this is something that both the drivers and the parents really appreciate we have um, a team called Kango live operations live ops as we say and we have a dashboard uh, where you can see all the rides either planned or in progress or upcoming like air traffic control. it's air yeah. traffic control you can see everybody <laughs> on a map uh, we have you know live ops almost like this you know right. with the, uh, and we get alerts they get alerts if somebody is as little as just a few minutes late picking up a child or if they're not on their way so basically if anything comes up and you know johnny's not in the corner on the soccer field where they're supposed to be then right. there's not only a driver who can communicate with the parent but there's also can go live ops overseeing all of yeah. it that's amazing wonder if maybe you can pause here for a moment yeah. G- give us a su- give us a sense for the size and you've been around for six years give us a sense for 
how many employees, how, I mean, can you give us some metrics that give people a sense for the size of the company? Sure. Where, and, where, are, you, where are you, I mean, geography, offices, employees, drivers, uh, yeah. funding, I mean, just give us people a sense Labor. of where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're still a young company. Um, you mentioned six years, actually only three of those have been doing the paid rides uh, in childcare for kids. There's a Actually, pretty, fairly early stage there. Correct. Yeah, okay. yeah we're right on the cusp. We're a seed stage company, I would say. Um, but, you know, all these things are in the midst of changing. So um, we have hundreds of drivers. Uh, we cover six counties in the Bay Area. We started inside the city of San Francisco. And now we cover, you know, Marin in the north to San Jose in the south wow. to Tri-Valley in the east, um, Contra Costa. We're all over the Bay Area. Well, that's and, a lot of geography uh, lot, right yeah. there. Uh, right. And drivers, yeah. some fun geography with bridges and things like that. <laughs> but, uh, but we added L.A. to the mix. I mean, I was born okay. in Santa Monica. And I know what a monster you know oh, that gosh, is geographically, yeah. and it's interesting. So to Sarah see. said, "Let's try LA too." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <You've> <laughs> why the, not? Throw right. that in the bucket. Um, really? Well, yeah. it's, it's so we we are you know a California company. It's kind of heartbreaking. We get uh, phone calls and emails from people all over the U.S., um, big cities, small cities, even outside the country, asking, you know, when are you coming here? Um, can I start it here if it's not here yet? But um, we have uh, a team that, because of our technology platform, which was built from the get-go by you know, an engineer who had built a Snapfish photo and video platform for 100 million people. We don't have 100 million users. We have thousands of users, but it's 100% uptime. Yeah, wow, exactly. And you cannot ever go down. You know, an app update always has to work on the first try uh, yeah. when you go into production. How many employees do you have? So we only have about a dozen full-time. Okay. Yep. And uh, that's made possible, but just the efficiencies, you know, that we have built in. The beauty of software. The beauty of, exactly. Of, Automation, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, machine learning is often used as a buzzword, but we literally have, it's what enables us to be the only company that can do dual track fulfillment, mm -hmm. both advanced, scheduled, and instant, uh, or same day, uh, because those get routed out to the right drivers in the right place who have the highest likelihood of accepting those types of requests and that also have the right, you know, car seats or boosters and all of that. It's pretty mm -hmm. complex. Wow, so you cover a lot of waterfront with uh, 12 employees. I mean, it sounds like you've got systems up and running, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a stable system, and you've got drivers, and you've got – does it feel like there's traction? I mean, from where you sit today in 2018, does it feel like you're in a good growth path? <sighs> Absolutely. I think... Uh, she means she's you, not sleeping much, it's, if <laughs> <laughs> It's burnt, back it's to school, you know, which yeah. we're in the middle of oh right, right now. Um, it's, it's all good. Um, but uh, we, we really have insisted on responsible growth, which I think mm -hmm. is something that uh, is... Uh, I don't want to say necessarily a key differentiator, but it's important to say, you know, in Silicon Valley um, and in the world of, you know, just craziness, craziness and beg for forgiveness. You, know, you don't do that with kids. No kidding. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's a great it's point. It's not an option. Yeah. It's yeah. just uh, that's at least our philosophy. So, yeah. you know, our investors who were, you know, delighted to have um, on board um, and the likes of corporate partners like Chrysler, they, they came to us because, you know, they could tell that we're doing things correctly. Carefully. Even as a young yeah. company, um, we've had safety audits. We have uh, a lot of oversight and regulation, actually, even at this young uh, stage. Um, we're licensed by the California Public Utilities Commission. We have reporting that's periodic, a lot of data, you know, that we have to provide. 
uh, insurance companies, obviously, that's important in our space. You have to pitch insurance wow, companies. I'm starting to appreciate the, <laughs> the compliance element alone is Absolutely. substantial. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's great because, obviously, it's kids and it's transportation. But um, there's a lot that one has to do, and it keeps you on your toes. Um, and you have to honestly pitch um, insurance companies like you would an investor um, because it's still early, even though you know there's ride-sharing for adults that's quite large, ride-sharing for kids. Uh, there's not that many of us in the space, and the data set is still quite small. Right. So, you know, you have to go through your operating procedures and mm-hmm. obviously your safety record. That's a lot of OPEX or operating expense and, you know, fixed costs and that sort of thing. How does that inform or influence the business model? Well, uh, the, I would say the um, the overhead isn't isn't that large compared to other you know, types of, of industries or, or companies. If you have a technical platform that uh, is performing and doesn't need to be rewritten, like some you know, young companies have to go through that, uh, then that's a good thing. Uh, if you've negotiated you know, partnerships that make sense, um, both on the distribution side and then uh, vendor relationships or insurance relationships that scale with your business, where it makes more and more sense as time goes on, then that's a good thing. Um, but the way we, uh, one of our mantras, in addition to responsible growth has been to not just hemorrhage cash. Right. Um, and so we really make sure the investors the, appreciate that too. That's the, <laughs> there's different philosophies, yeah. you know, we, I'm half Swiss, right? So uh, it has to, it has to, we, uh, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, and also from a, from a founder standpoint, we wanted to make sure that this made economic sense. Um, we weren't going to be the company that raised a hundred million dollars and then went under all of a sudden uh, right. because it couldn't be fixed later. So um, we don't um, heavily subsidize the ride side of the equation. Uh, you know, nor the parent side of the equation. We have the strategy of being the best, most flexible service for both parents and drivers. So they choose us, even if they might drive for another service, either for kids or adults. Um, so it's um, a competitive uh, minimum ride fare of $16 plus a $1 safe ride fee. And mm-hmm. that covers up to two kids, roughly 20 minutes, five or so miles. Um, that's actually lower than some of the other uh, kids' services that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a $9 a month membership, mm-hmm. which um, compensates for the fact that we don't add a $3 booking fee to our rides. Mm-hmm. So not everyone knows this, but other services add several dollars per ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is people realize, well, if I'm going to use Kango more than three times a month, which so many of our users do, um, you then you cover the that yeah. that, why would I not, right? right. Yeah. Plus you get all these other services mm-hmm. um, and support. So that's the other piece of the equation. And then uh, if you book childcare, either along with a ride or separately for that matter, it's market rates basically, you know, um, 18 or $20 an yeah, hour per child, right? So just as if you were booking off of a different platform, yeah. except everybody's fingerprinted. Well, we're going to explore this more, the business model, because it's really interesting mm-hmm. and also interesting for listeners to really understand, like, all the benefits um, associated with that. I'm Irina Yen, along with Doug Collum, and our guest this hour is Sarah Sher, this co-founder and CEO of Kango. Please stay with us as we continue our conversation after the break. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. Welcome back to Bay Area Ventures on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Irina Yen, along with Doug Collum, and our guest this hour is Sarah Sher, the co-founder and CEO of Kango. And when we left off, we are just starting to talk about Kango's business model to understand what does that look like um, if I wanted to use a service and I'm a parent out there listening. Um, what is the business model? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, we want to make it easy for you to try us out, um, and we're there to help you with your rides and if you need childcare, you know, childcare needs. So basically, it's a per ride, you know, ride fare. If you download the app and tap book a driver, it'll ask you to sign up. It'll take a credit card just like an Uber or Lyft app would, but it won't charge you unless you use the service. Um, you'll see a ride fare estimate once you put in the pickup and drop off location uh, that you need for your ride for your child or for your kids. And um, the minimum ride fare is $16 plus a $1 safe ride fee, which helps us with our per mile insurance. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, it's like I mentioned, a $9 a month membership, but you only get charged that membership fee if you use the service that month. Mm-hmm. So typically, sometimes there's parents who don't use it during the summer, um, or sometimes there's parents actually who only use us during the summer <laughs> for camps, <laughs> camp <right>. chaos. <laughs> um, and you won't be charged that $9 you know, during that time. So what we find is that we have um, a huge cohort of parents, I guess families, who use us many, many times per month. I mean, on average, almost 10 times a month, um, and then our super users more than that, so literally several times a week. Um, and so for them, it makes much more sense to have a, a membership that's as low as $9, really two lattes, yes. <laughs> than a booking fee if they're booking that many rides. So um, I've got a question. So I'm, I'm just thinking, because you say you offer child care services per se as a tag-on to the cha- to the ride service. And a standalone, so, it sounds like. So if I'm a single parent and I've got a, mm-hmm. a five-year-old coming home from kindergarten and I can't get home until, th- say, three hours after this, the child is dropped off, does, is that a tag-on or a, an additional service that Kango will offer? Yes, um, it is. We're, we're the only ones who, I think there's only one other service that will um, let you do that, and that's in 15-minute increments, so it turns out you know, to be quite expensive yeah. Um, yeah. if you Absolutely. do that. Um, at Kango, we felt strongly um, having you know, encountered this challenge when we had young kids you know, ourselves, and like you said, young kids might get out of preschool early, um, or they might just yeah. need <coughs> oversight, right? You can't, they can't be a latchkey right. um, child at that age. And so, yeah, literally you would book a ride and you would book childcare, and we'll make sure that the same provider accepts both. Um, or you could book, um, and this is something that only Kango does among transportation services for kids, you can book childcare separately just for date night um, without a ride. And that came about because so many people were saying, oh, our kids really love Anna. You know, she drives them several times a week. And they like Jenna, too. Well, hey, we don't have a sitter for Friday or Saturday. You know, do they also babysit? And, of course, they're also caregivers. They're also trust line registered and fingerprinted. Mm -hmm. Why not? Uh, Why would we stand in the way of that? So let me ask a separate question, Sarah, which is I'm thinking through of your comments just before we, we, we went to break about all the compliance elements of the business plan. I mean, I just it it's kind of staggering to listen to the various hoops and filters and screens that you guys go through to engender this trust relationship between parents and child and drivers. Um, That costs money. Mm -hmm. So as a general premise, I mean, without getting into numbers, but, you know, if I get a ride from, I live in Menlo Park, so if I get a ride from Menlo Park to the airport on Uber or Lyft, I know it's going to cost me within a certain amount of money. But when I'm suddenly when I'm shifting into the market for child care rides, child services rides, I assume there is a premium at a a unit cost level. There's a premium associated with that market because parents are willing to pay more for the trust component that you described, which ranges not just relationships, but also 
all the regulatory hoops that you need to go through to make sure that everything works. Is that an accurate statement? Um, that's true, but I would also say that just as important are the differences, really the hand-holding, I think, that uh, you mentioned, where this is not just a curbside-to-curbside service. Mm-hmm. This is a service where we will, you know, come sign out a child. You know, drivers can park, go into the school or the after school, right, yeah. just like a, a babysitter would do, um, and come in and sign them out, you know, take their hand to cross the street if they need to, you know, wait until the soccer coach arrives at the soccer field before driving away and, uh, you know, considering the job done. So it's really the peace of mind that, like you said, comes from not just the uh, insurance and the vetting, but also from the experience as a whole, the whether, relationships. Right, that's yeah. right. Um, it is very much a, a relationship, and um, there's families really in all sorts of different use cases. There's kids who need to go to therapy appointments. I can just imagine. Right, uh, yeah. There's you know separated families. Maybe in the Bay Area, they might be one on the, each side of a bridge, wow. um, or parents who work in San Francisco but kids go to school in Berkeley, um, or you know all sorts of geographical challenge which challenges which just make it necessary to have that. Ride plus, um, you know, where we're not going to leave a child unattended. Um, operations will swoop in and uh, rejigger that driver's schedule. Um, if, Make sure it works. If something, right. if if a child, you know, if the soccer is canceled because of rain right there when the drop off happens, or somebody's oh all of God. a sudden not feeling well, it, we <laughs> will not, you know, leave uh, your child unattended um, in any shape or form. So parents, that's really what they're looking for too. That's the trust element, um, yeah. And it's still uh, people. It's interesting. Make kind of a P and L calculation. Sometimes we have people ask us, well. You know, gosh, um, you know, $17 for a ride isn't that expensive. And um, actually, parents often tell us, well, the alternative is trying to book a nanny for 20 hours a week or just the 10 Absolutely. hours that you need after school. And we can't find someone or they're not always available or they only lasted three months and then they were gone. So this is still um, actually a cheaper way to just use the increments that you need rather than having with a service that will work on finding you supply mm-hmm. um, if your needs change rather than having sort of a static situation. One of the things that we're talking about, Sarah, is also what's unique is the nature of the partnerships. And you had mentioned Kango's relationship or partnership with Chrysler, which is really unique. We've not heard that in any other um, without any other business in this space. Could you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, as you heard earlier, we obviously spend a lot of time and resources on finding the safest drivers, you know, for your children who are qualified caregivers and who have safe vehicles. Um, but uh, so we screen for drivers first and vehicles second. But what's happening is, you know, people wake up and think to themselves, well, gosh, you know, I'm a mom or a dad and I'm driving carpool. Uh, what if the Kango driver drove the carpool? Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. Wouldn't that be awesome? Bright, this could be you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but along with that comes, and it also brings, you know, the fare down if, if you share a ride. Uh, plus the kids are happy. They're going yeah. with their friends. They're right. going maybe from the same school to the same soccer field. And so um, when we were contacted by Chrysler, we thought, well, this would be an interesting. Did they reach out to you? I did. Oh, That's interesting. Great. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, continue. And uh, so, but they reached out to, you know, presumably others as well. Um, but they obviously need to hear for themselves what we were doing and how does ride sharing work and how safe are we and all of that but um, what was exciting it was a number of things uh, including the fact that this was the best of both worlds bringing together you know eco-friendly brand new you know safe pacifica hybrid vehicles that are minivans um, that seat five in the back um, with you know the best safest drivers who are also caregivers for kids Mm -hmm. so that's a way for us to have 
within our fleet of drivers driving their own vehicles, um, sort of the best of the best, uh, have the right to lease mm. from Chrysler directly um, minivans, which would otherwise be outside of wow. you know, your economic possibilities. What makes them eligible to um, enter into a lease through Kango? Are they, do they have specific criteria? Probably the same, like driving record and all that kind of stuff, the bar that they have to Correct. Uh, but it's also, you know, part of it is how long have they been with us? What right. is their track record like? You mm-hmm. know, are they sufficiently available? Um, are they great communicators? You know, because after all, they're being sense. entrusted with, it's a three-way relationship, right. you know. So, so um, I understand Kango's objective, which is getting access to new uh, Safe industries, yeah. sa- safety certified <coughs> vehicles from a reputable right. automobile manufacturer. What is the objective from Chrysler's perspective? Well, obviously, uh, only their uh, marketing folks know the okay. exact definition of that. But it, th- it was the brand new, uh, brand new vehicle. It's still the only hybrid minivan on the market, and oh, so I see. Okay. literally, the those vehicles market. are. They've been. They have done. You know, in the almost a year, I guess, since we started the partnership, they have done thousands and thousands of rides, you know, in thousands of locations, both here and in Los Angeles. And those are basically their target customers, right? Um, families and mm-hmm. kids who might be looking for uh, a larger vehicle. So is, I guess my question in part is, is there a bit of a social mission that Chrysler sees in this as well as providing support, community support? Well, I think <laughs> that Or is it, that overstating that maybe it's just purely branding? They put the Chrysler name on it. They expand their least, their least fleet of cars and so forth. Well, definitely, it's it's a how should I say it's a human use case. You know, there's yeah. only so right, much right. you can say about a car's stats, right? You can you know read the the, yeah. the car and driver, you know, and it gets this much <laughs> mileage. And but but if you're cool you know a, a family, right. um, it it's it, you want to see you know how your kids are, right. are enjoying yeah. the vehicle, how comfortable you Absolutely. know five or six of them actually are. You know that you can do a road trip or a multi-stop <laughs> soccer carpool, and everybody's still happy. You know, and right. nobody's fighting. Um, <laughs> it's that, customer development right. real time. The child comes home. We've got to get this car. It, it is comfortable. They have the bells and it, whistles. Et it is actually very funny. I had uh, we transitioned a driver into a into a lease, and then she confessed. She said, "You know, parents had been telling her like, oh, you don't have a van. How many rides do we have to request that you get a van? Um, what do we have to do? We just want you to have a van.'" Um, and then oh, kids would get in her car and say, "Oh, you don't have a van." And so she's like, "How, how do I you know, gotta have a van?" That's amazing. But um, it's it's a very human um, aspect to it. Yeah. So uh, in addition to, you know, all of the work that obviously they do as a large um, a company professionally marketing their vehicles, mm-hmm. it's it's a human use case um, that's out there, you know, being seen by people. That's so unique. And then from, um, from partnerships in general, as you think about scaling, um, how does that play into your strategy, whether it's, you know, through partnerships with maybe schools, districts, um, caregiving operations you were mentioning on the supply side with, with drivers and that sort of thing? How do you think about that? There is so much potential. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it's very gratifying actually as a founder because now there's there's inbound um, people are we're obviously targeting certain types of partnerships, but they also are coming to us that, and saying, yeah. nice. how, how can we help? Um, or this is a value, you know, to our user base. Right. You know, everything from you know HR departments of companies who say, well, we have really hardworking. You know, insert. Uh, oh, it's a tough wonderful, job, right? right? Uh, a wonderful know. perk. Everything, yeah, from offer. that yeah. mobile payment. I mean, it's the gamut. It sounds like so. You know, either companies where uh, there might be a lot of travel, or or odd hours, or unpredictable hours, um, or you know, the travel industry for that matter. You know, mm-hmm. there's whole families taking rides um, in oh, wow. in vehicles. Um, 
we we literally have a roadmap that we've just scratched the surface of, really. Um, but in terms of childcare, it's also fascinating because this is really a compliment. I mean, transportation is complicated enough, um, and the bar is high enough safety-wise that it's a specialty business. Absolutely. So there's a lot of partnerships, even with uh, you know small or large companies in the childcare space, that would still make sense um, mm-hmm. because it really is kind of a a specialty that we have. That's exciting. For people just joining us, uh, we're talking with Sarah Scherer, who's the co-founder and CEO of Kango, which is a, a ride-sharing app for kids, all ages, from 2 to 24, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we just ask that if they're under the age of 2, that a parent or guardian accompany them on the ride, which, you know, in 99.9% of, percent of so cases, so we're, sense. we're listening to a pretty remarkable story. I wanted to pursue this thread about strategic partnerships. I know you've been out raising early stages level early stage levels of funding. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about a partnership like Chrysler, it it suggests that at some phase in the company's growth path, you might switch from financial investors to strategic investors. I mean, if you have a, a corporation like a Google or a you know, Facebook or somebody saying, God, we would love to mm. offer this kind of a ride-sharing Amazing service benefit. for our employees so they never leave the building. <laughs> That's right. you got the bus and I the can go behind that it. That would be something that they might approach you for, not only for the business, but also saying we'd love to support you from an equity standpoint. Mm-hmm. Is that – I'm putting words in your mouth. Forgive me. How How do you see strategic investors as part of your – capitalization plan going forward yeah no that's that's an excellent question and i think you know of all players in our space um we maybe it's because of our backgrounds you know we're how should i say um thinking about it in a in the most holistic way you know not just well we need we only want venture capital you know not strategic you know some folks will tell you well don't get tied down you know don't uh ally yourself too early Uh, make sure that your growth plans are aligned and therefore you know, there's a time for sort of pure venture capital where the focus is growth and return on investment, and there's a time for strategic alliances, but don't do that too early. Um, That's true. Um, so that is there is truth to that. I think that you know, with Chrysler, it's it's not a uh, financial relationship at this time, but we have a lot to learn, and we are learning a lot about what is it like, you know, to have a fleet um, of vehicles, even though we don't own them, there's a lot of collaboration involved. And Mm -hmm. frankly, vehicles and kids, we feel a lot of responsibility. So I think that um, in terms of potential investment from strategics, this is a space where it makes sense to learn as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And if there's, which there are um, companies out there who either are in the automotive space or in the transportation space who have Uh, economies of scale or distribution um, abilities or safety, you know, best practices that we could learn from or take advantage of. Um, We're not closed to, you know, discussing that. It's a fascinating juncture. Um, As you heard, we started this company really on a mission to help families and out of our own pain as working parents. But we happen to be at the confluence of the automotive revolution (laughs) (laughs) Um, with moving from car ownership to, you know, a a transportation as a service type of model. And also the emergence of, you know, electric uh, vehicles as those evolve. Driverless. <laughs> to, right, I have my thoughts about that when it comes to kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also, you know, uh, the mobile mobile technology and yeah. families shifting, you know, behaviors where it comes to, you know, ride sharing for you know, kids. It makes my yeah. head hurt just listening. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. It's so many moving parts, <laughs> regulations. At the core, like Sarah was saying, it's about trust. Like having that mission, that mission kind of 
be the um, the light that guides you through the stage of growth when when as you scale and all that kind of stuff. Okay, what was our mission? We want to support families. We want to make sure we say we're safe and that we never trade off trust with any of our the parent child driver kind of relationship as we scale because you don't have to. And that choice may be a tough choice to your point about supply and demand as you grow and all that kind of stuff. But it's the right choice. It sounds like you're very mindful about that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, you touched on investors. You have to, you know, find the right investors who are aligned with you in that right. philosophy mm-hmm. um, in terms of responsible growth, uh, but growth all the same um, and trying to evolve the space in a responsible way where you don't take too many risks, but still where you're an attractive investment and are on the cutting edge right. of innovation. So I wonder if I can shift gears completely because I know that Kango was uh, part of the the 500 Startups Experience. You went through the accelerator for Correct. people who have not heard of it. 500 Startups is a well nationally renowned startup accelerator. So Sarah, you you came out of a completely different career and decided you were going to start a company. What made you decide you wanted to go through an accelerator like 500 Startups to get your first traction? Um, absolutely. That's a great uh, question. We were product and engineering you know, executives when we decided to found Kango. So we didn't choose to go through an accelerator to learn how to build things. Um, it was really because we were first-time founders, even yeah. though we had – this is the third startup that I've worked at, although it's the first one that I've founded. So it was really – to learn about uh, fundraising, to basic blocking and tackling, right. How to, figure yeah. out right what is the strategy that you should have, what are common, you know, and to go through that and meet others who were in the same stage. And I think um, I remember a funny experience where you know I'm a I'm a mom of two. I think there were only two of us moms at, at Demo Day out of about thirty uh, companies presenting. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> but That's uh, amazing. Yeah. but. Uh, but it was all good, and um, somebody turned, I think, almost exactly 20 years younger than me um, <laughs> right in the next, <laughs> on the next table year over at 500 Startups. But we had everything in common you know, right. because we were going through the same building uh, our company, the same you know, frustrations, the same risks we were trying to take. And so it was a, it was a great experience, and 500 had uh, a track record as not only investing in female founders but having experience investing in what at the time were sort of called family tech or kid-related oh, yeah. uh, yeah. um, startups that were emerging. Um, so it was a good place to learn about that space as well. Did you know that before you even w- expressed interest in 500 startups, that was one of the reasons why you sought that out? Uh, correct. That? Wow. Mm-hmm. We were pretty opportunistic. It's, I think it might have been the only accelerator we applied to because oh. uh, we had sort of stumbled across the um, work that they were doing with mm-hmm. um, startups in the family and, and kid-related space. So just a quick question. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, would you? So you went through 500 startups, got your outside investors starting in on the company, and, and the path continues. Would you do it over again? Was that a worthwhile endeavor? To go through an accelerator? Yeah. I think I would. Yeah, I, mean, I would say it's not without – there's a pound of flesh, and there's some, some gives and takes. But how would you, would you do it again? I would. I think um, I would be very careful in selecting, you know, if people were to ask me today, is it worth it to go through an accelerator? Mm-hmm. I would be very careful in selecting which one and be very laser f- clear about what your objective is um, going through an accelerator and also which program. There's some that require a lot of on-site time. There's some where there is none. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some that are focused on fundraising. There's others that are focused on marketing or on building or a specific industry. So I think that answer might be different depending on what you're building. Mm. Yeah. That's great advice. That's great advice for the entrepreneurs who are listening. We have a couple minutes left. I was wondering if we could talk a little about 
um, kind of shifting gears, but it's related that, you know, VC in the Valley in general has got a diversity issue. You're a female founder. Um, can you talk about or just offer words of wisdom for other gals who are um, either looking at the investment side or as founders, what your experience has been and your thoughts about um, the business case for diversity and any words of wisdom you know, sure. based on your own experience? Absolutely. Um, first of all, I'm, uh, I'm really excited by the direction that things are headed in terms of more more women uh, joining the ranks of the investors and women who have been part of the first wave, uh, you know, having some big returns and mm-hmm. uh, people like Katrina Lake, you know, at Stitch Fix, uh, having going public, you know, the more examples there are of real large scale successes by female founders, um, the better it is for the entire ecosystem just to prove that point about diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that it's challenging at the very early stage where it's really a leap of faith um, for people. Um, I was asked uh, a couple of times, I don't get asked this anymore, but uh, ironically, as you know, uh, I've built along with my co-founder a service to help working families, not just moms, but also dads with their family responsibilities. But I was asked, you know, how are you going to build a business and still manage to have a family? <laughs> I, like, I thought, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I'm like, here, look at my app. Here That's we go. Right. <laughs> this is what, um, read my deck. <laughs> right. And, uh, but I don't get asked that question anymore. And I think um, it really is also about not making sure that you are, that you remain focused on your business. The best thing you can do, um, whether you're a male or female founder, is to focus on your business and have results to show, mm-hmm. whether it's early traction or revenue. I think for us, uh, going from sort of the peer-to-peer carpool app that we started out with that kind of pro- proved to us that there was demand in transportation, moving from that to a revenue generating service was huge Uh, because as a free service, the bar is very, very high in terms of user stats that you need to have in order to attract investment. Um, Whereas if you have people paying for your service, you still need to show growth. Obviously, you still need to have the right type of metrics, but um, it's a little bit of a different conversation when there's already proof that people will pay for what you're providing. So stick to like the, the data has to matter. Like f- keep your eye on the prize, so to speak. Keep your keep your eye on the business. Don't get discouraged. Um, you know, I started out my career in France as one of the only women at Accenture Financial Services. <laughs> so it was a great battleground for me. You know, there's nothing I haven't heard. <laughs> I'm sure um, that's so a different show, right? <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was a great training ground. And so uh, more than ever, I think um, seek out mentors and people who support that's you. Great advice. Um, I, I turn around and do the same for high school girls. I'm a part of a program called Technovation, uh, which um, is a program they go through to learn how to build an app and sort of do the startup journey in a microcosm over a few months. And it's really uh, a huge, great example to show that they come up with completely different ideas. So people of all ages, of all genders, whatever, it's just all the richer. Um, We need all of the you know challenges and problems to be solved, but who is building them is going to make a difference into what actually comes to exist. Well, that's great, Sarah. Unfortunately, we're out of time. That went by way too quickly. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, Thanks for great. having me. Yeah. So, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and the work you're doing at Kango? They can go to they can visit us on the web at uh, www.kangoapp.co co not c o m mm-hmm. um, or they can find me on Twitter I'm at Sarah Share S A R A S C H A E R uh, we're also there as Kango App on Twitter okay great thank you well thank you everybody for joining us if you have a question about something you heard on today's show you can email us at businessradio at seriousxm.com and be sure to follow our show on Twitter at bizradio132 and as a reminder we air live each Monday. 
Sunday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, right here on Sirius XM's Business Radio Channel 132. Once again, a special thank you to our guest today, Mike Shaw, co-founder and CEO of SigFig, and Sarah Sher, the co-founder and CEO of Kango. And we'd also like to thank producer Dana Cash, assistant producer Charlene Goto, and our engineer Jeff Simmons. I'm Irina Yen with Doug Collum, and you're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.com. Dot upenn.edu. Dot